Acts chapter 4. Um, we're going to be continuing our series in Acts and looking at the early church. Um, so we ended last week talk, looking at the fact that the Holy Spirit had empowered the church and, its, and our believers with the boldness to stand and preach the gospel in really difficult situations. And so today I'm going to change things up. And I'm going to have some of our students come up and read, uh, read God's Word. So I'm going to invite Anna Sykes up here to start us off. So Acts chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 32 through 37. The community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, this is mine, about any of their possessions, but held everything in common. The apostles continued to bear power So what we just read, that was what was going on at the time. That was what was good and right. The Holy Spirit was intervening in the lives of the early church. The Holy Spirit gifted each individual with different resources and different gifts, and that was being celebrated among the church. Um, if, if the church saw needs in among its body or among the community, the apostles would make sure that those needs were met. Um, and so if you're taking notes, point number one is we are better together. We are better together. Look back at verse 32. And so what happens in 32 is we have a gathering of believers who all recognize the Great Commission. Some, in, some are in better life situations than others. Some are landowners shopkeepers, things like that. So they've got a, more resources than others. But these believers trusted God so completely that they pulled together those resources to make sure that, uh, that, that the goal of the church was accomplished because they knew that together they could accomplish more than what could be done separately. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, verse 35, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as, to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called Barnabas, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas has a good amount of land that he could easily turn around and use for an income. He could use it for livestock, for farming. He could turn that into a regular income. But he turns around and he sells it. One-time transaction. 
and he's never going to see money from that again. But he trusts God so much that he takes all of that money that he just got from the sale of that land, and he says, he gives it to the apostles, and he says, use it as you see fit. Um, and so this is, a, is one of the best examples of how the heart guides us through the Holy Spirit to, do, to be able to use our resources to do God's work. And we learn that later on, that Barnabas becomes a missionary and joins Paul because of that desire and that heart. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to pause here because we've seen some of the, the great things that God was doing through the church um, during, this, during the time of the early church. But now what we want to look at is what happens when sin enters the picture and when sin starts to corrupt that. So Evan, I want to invite you up here now. And uh, let's go ahead and flip over to chapter 5, just the next page over. And Evan is going to read for us chapter 5. to the church and to the apostles for their use to further God's 
Ananias and Sapphira see the attention that uh, Barnabas got because of that, and they think, okay, what can we do to get that same attention? Um, so let's jump back in. Verse 1, but a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so let's pause there. Some stuff happens right there right away. He says to himself, okay, let's come up with some kind of plan to where we can get that same attention, but I don't have to give as much money as Barnabas just did. So he does pretty much the exact same thing that Barnabas did. He goes off, he sells some money, and he pockets some of that money while still giving a little bit to the to the apostles. And verse three, he says, but verse three, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan built your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself some of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your, your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. All right, so we'll pause there. So Ananias shows up. He gives the apostle part of the money and then thinking that he's about to get showered with praise in the same way that Barnabas just did. This is where we got watch God through the Holy Spirit intervene. Um, Peter, in verse 3, he stops Ananias. He says, hey, what's really going on here? He calls him out on what he just did. Peter calls him out on really letting his heart get corrupted by sin. Um, he's making it look like he did something that he didn't do. Um, Peter calls him out, and without being able to respond to this, um, he just drops dead. He takes one last breath, and he drops dead. Um, but that's not where our story ends. Verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. In other words, tell me whether the amount of money that Barnabas just handed me is truthfully the amount of money that you sold that land for. And she said, yeah, we sold the money for that much money, or we sold the land for that much money. And so Peter says to her, um, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have just buried your husband are at the door and will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And so Sapphira shows up knowing that she, at, least, at the very least, didn't intervene in what Ananias had, had decided to do. And Peter questions her, and he gives her the chance to be honest. He gives her the chance to come clean, but sin had corrupted her so much that she 
she chose to continue to live out that lie that she paid for it with her life. And so this brings up a stigma that's been associated with the church for just about as long as, as it's been around, and that's hypocrisy. Um, and so point number three, for those taking notes, point number three is hypocrisy. It's real and it's everywhere. Um, now let's be, let's be totally honest, totally transparent here. I'm a hypocrite, you're a hypocrite, we're all hypocrites. Um, it comes with the territory. As believers, we tell people, hey, that this is what sin is. Men, this is what you need to be turning away from, but we're also walking in our own sin. Um, but the difference between believers and the rest of the world is we try, we know what God's word says and we try to live our lives a little bit better every day. Some days are better than others, but we have that goal that we know that we're striving for. Um, something that will always be true about the church until the return of Christ is that there will always be hypocrites. Um, there will be good hypocrites and there will be bad hypocrites, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit, but let me give you the definition of hypocrisy. It's the pretense of having a virtuous character. It's moral or religious beliefs or principles that one does not really possess. So we know the words, but we don't actually Now, there are a couple of things that we want to identify about hypocrisy before we move forward. First, is that in any given moment in which you're walking in hypocrisy, chances are you've forgotten in that moment what the gospel teaches you about you and your relationship with the Lord. Um, another term for that that we use is spiritual integrity. You've forgotten what's about spiritual integrity. And so just kind of breaking that down, what, it, what we're looking at is that it's a compromise, it's a lapsing judgment. Um, it's deciding to take the easy or the light path rather than choosing the difficult journey. Um, it, it doesn't require us to be in a certain place or a certain state of mind to retain ourselves. Um, it, it meets us where we are um, in the mess and in the filth of our lives. Um, so another big danger of what, what we want to look at is that how do we deal with hypocrisy? And so one of the big dangers is that you don't want to go comparing yourselves to other people. Um, you don't want to compare yourself, your relationship with somebody else's relationship with God. Um, just because you appear to have a better relationship with God doesn't mean that doesn't make you better than anyone else. Um, we're all members of the same body of believers and so we shouldn't be comparing ourselves just because God gave us different lifestyles. Uh, we're, we're all unique in gifts and Abilities, and so it isn't necessary, necessary for you to live the type of life that somebody else lives because God made you different. Um, 
Um, the truth of hypocrisy is that it alters our mental baseline. Um, so what we thought was wrong isn't necessarily wrong anymore. Um, if, if God were to show up one day and say, hey, Daniel, you're awesome, um, I'm in trouble because I know I'm not. Um, what ends up happening is that we start as believers with this baseline that we know what sin is. When we accept Jesus Christ, we've drawn a line in the sand, and we know where that baseline is. But what hypocrisy does and what, what happens is that that baseline starts to get erased. And we start to feel like, okay, maybe this isn't as bad as we thought it was. And we feel like, okay, maybe we don't need God's grace anymore because we're feeling better about ourselves than we should. Um, so what happens to the hypocrite is they grab hold of the language that they hear when their heart isn't in it. And the hypocrite grabs a hold of the action and doesn't understand the heart of the matter. They forget that the gospel says that we've been rescued out of depravity and that we're now in process. Write that down, write it in your notes. We are now. So this is Solomon's way of telling us that there should always be somebody in the trenches with you. Um, there should always be somebody who knows you, that, that knows you and knows everything about you. Um, there should always be 
there should always be at least one. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And I like this one because in regards to relationships, I think that it really points out the fact that we need somebody that, somebody in our lives that's willing to cause sparks. And I'm not talking about romantic sparks there. I'm talking about the kind of sparks that, that hurt, the kind of sparks that, that somebody is willing to cause a little bit of friction and call out some truth in your life that may hurt you a little bit. Um, one last verse as we get ready to close out, Hebrews 3.13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So you can see how these things start to connect with each other. We, we already said that nobody just falls off the cliff of the belief, of belief that they wrestle, they, they're quiet about it, and they don't let anyone in. And so the text says here that we should know each other to the point that we're able to absorb one another, encourage one another, as long as it's called today. And why? Because there's a very real chance that we'll be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Um, how can we be encouraged by, in our weakness, if no one knows we're weak? How can we be exhorted in our doubts if no one knows what we're wrestling with in doubt? Um, some of you might say, well, Daniel, what you're talking about, this vulnerability that you're talking about is dangerous because I don't want everybody to know about all of my stuff that's, that you know, I keep on the inside. And, that, that does feel uncomfortable, but for me personally, I've benefited more from opening up to one or two people in my life than, than trying to keep everything locked away. And so as we close out, if you don't have that accountability, that, that closeness in your life, I'd encourage you to really be thinking about, okay, who can I turn to? When, when I need somebody to be willing to tell me the truth. And so every head bowed, every eye closed. As we get ready to close out today, I just want you to be thinking about, okay, how, how does this impact me? What parts of my life do I need to, do I need accountability in? For some of you, you might have questions about Jesus and Christianity, and you've never really gotten a straight answer to it, and if that's you, I want you to come find me after service. I'm not going to force you into anything. I'm not going to try and convert you on the spot, but hey, I just want to talk to you and answer your questions. Um, for others of you, maybe, maybe you've been watching. haven't quite gone the way that you know that they should. And so I'd like you to take this time and just talk to God about where you're at. Whatever it is, just do this as we talk right now.